Hello, listeners. Kathy Lawless, your life story curator, bringing you this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? A series of interviews designed for people just starting in their careers, in transition, or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to stories from people who are established in their careers, who have been there, done that, been through the transitions, and been through getting stuck. So hopefully they might find some new ways forward. Today, I'm very excited to be introducing or introducing, interviewing Suzanne Mitchell, who is the president of Zaymar Screen Printing. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. And Suzanne and I met through a, uh, well, I guess a peer advisory board training group, right, with Mary Gall? Exactly. Yeah, so we met through that way. And then another friend introduced us later. And I'm like, you know what, this is a sign. Uh, I need to get Suzanne on the, on the program. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, Suzanne, I always like to start with some icebreaker questions so our listeners get to know a little bit about you. So could you share with us where you grew up, uh, how many siblings you had, where you were in the birth order, that kind of stuff, and how you think that influenced you as a person? Um, I was born and raised in Colorado. I was uh, born in a small town, uh, Cheyenne Wells, outside of Burlington, Colorado. And then grew up um, in Brighton, Colorado. Actually, I was there from, uh, we moved there when I was three and I lived there until I'd been married 10 years and then moved to another area of Colorado. So I've pretty much been in Colorado my whole life. Um, <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a Colorado native as well. So woohoo, go Colorado. Yeah, there's not that many of us anymore. It's great. <laughs> I have one younger brother. So there's only two of us and I am the older sister. And I wore that with pride. I was always the oldest and wisest in, in my mind, anyway. <laughs> and in charge, probably, right? That's right. What's so, yeah, it was a, I had a great childhood. <laughs> and what, what's the age difference between you and your brother? Uh, my brother is three years younger than I. Ah, yeah. okay. So we were pretty close growing up. And are you pretty close now? Um. I wouldn't say we're not close, but we don't see him near as much. He does still live in Colorado, but um, very different lives and different people. And so we actually don't see each other a lot, but we still gather holidays and celebrations. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, growing up then uh, out in the smaller towns, uh, what did you, did you play sports? Did, were you in music? Um, I was not super involved in sports. I was a very active 4-H member. So that was a huge part of my life. And I think a huge part of why I turned into who I did. Um, I attribute a lot of that to my 4-H years. And I also played the piano. And we were really involved at church. So those were my main things that I spent my childhood doing. Your main activities, yeah. What did yeah. you do in 4-H? Were you working with animals? I was not. I was all on the home ec side. So I learned to sew and cook and can and I did babysitting projects and safety things. And so I did all those tabletop kind of um, economic projects. So. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, yeah, I forget 4-H is that side as well as the animal side. Absolutely. That was a huge misconception growing up. Everybody assumed I must live on a farm with cows and chickens and I didn't have any of that. I grew up in town. And so it was mostly baking for me, which I won some pretty high awards and bread baking, kind of still a passion of mine. Oh, very cool. Well, this is what I love learning about people because this is something we wouldn't know about you if we were just talking about your career. Absolutely true. <laughs> 
So shifting gears just a little bit, um, on the fun meter, on a scale of one to five, one being a couch potato and five being life of the party, uh, where do you put yourself? Oh, I probably fall in that three to four range. I'm definitely a gatherer of people. That is definitely something I do well, but I'm not necessarily the life of the party once it's together, but I can put them together like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> so you're all about, we need to have a party and let's do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you make sure you probably invite the life of the party. <laughs> exactly. Okay, let's uh, shift over to the risk meter, same scale, one to five. Where are you on taking risks? Oh, you know, it all depends upon what it is. I'm like a one if we're talking about skydiving or anything that seems risky in that range. But if it comes to business, I would say I'm much closer to five. I'm willing to take a risk, give it a try. I'm pretty adventurous to figure stuff out, but just not with things like skydiving. <laughs> I love that because you know I've had other interviews say the same thing. They define it very clearly, which is yeah, adventure, yeah. no, yeah, but business and life exactly. stuff, yes. <laughs> yeah, totally different for me. So don't count me out just because I'm not skydiving, right? That, that I'm not <laughs> exactly doing big bold things. <laughs> very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing today and what it means to be the president of Zamar Screen Printing, and then we'll get to how did I get here. How did I get there? Well, um, my day-to-day -day job is the uh, president of Zamar. Um, we're actually a small team. We've gone up and down in size over the years, but I really am instrumental in the daily, where are we going? How are we going to get there? What funding are we going to do? And then I do a lot of sales. So I do a ton of referral marketing, very much in contact with clients, in contact with referral partners out there. So I'm really the face of Zaymar that's out in the world. Yeah, so you're doing it all. And that's as a, as a small business owner, right? That's usually the case. That's it. You wear a lot of hats from janitor clear up to CEO. It just depends upon the day. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about how you got here then. When as a young person, did you have dreams of owning your own business or to be in the in the printing world or marketing world? Or what what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, you know, I don't think as a kid I absolutely had one of those times where I was like, I'm going to be X. But if anybody gathered all the kids in the, you know, in the town and in my block, I was the one that gathered everybody. And I was certainly in charge. I was telling everybody what to do, telling them where we were go and when we were going to be there. So I think I was always a leader since I was very young. I could gather, I could instruct, I could organize. So those traits were there, but I probably didn't realize then that that meant I, you know, wanted to my own own my own thing. But mm -hmm. I started with all jobs that were unusual. I babysat, I cleaned campers, I cleaned individual houses, and then in high school, a friend and I started a catering business. We only did, you know, three or four jobs, but they were really successful. And I was, you know, 16 years old, so. I think I always had that entrepreneurial spirit in me. It just didn't, it took a while to figure out that's what I was really gonna do with my life. So I graduated from high school and I knew I didn't wanna go to college. It just wasn't something I wanted to do. And so I jumped straight into the workforce and I uh, started as a receptionist at an insurance company. And it only took me a couple of months to realize I didn't want to be the receptionist. I wanted to be an agent. And so <laughs> I very quickly got all of my licensing and jumped right in. 
and I sold insurance for a couple of years. I was very successful. I was working in Boulder, and uh, but it just didn't feed my soul. I was selling high risk auto, and it you know people give you fifteen hundred dollars and grr because they're not happy. This isn't they don't want it. They don't want to have to deal with it, and it just didn't really feed who I was. You know, I knew I didn't want to do that forever, and so, so you, uh... to be honest. Yeah, oh, I was sorry. so wanted out of it. Yeah, so while it was earning you an income and you probably felt great achievement from the, getting the licenses and all of that, it's just the you weren't making people happy. Yeah, it wasn't feeding my soul. I wasn't mm -hmm. enjoying the process at all. And so I thought I was going to stay home and have kids. I was married. I got married really young. I got married at 20. So I was 21, 22, and I'm like, you know, I think I just want to have kids. I want to stay home, maybe do daycare, be able to be with my kids. So we bought a house and I got out of insurance and I did start a daycare. I had a very successful daycare for a couple of years. And during that time, I didn't end up having my own kids. And so we're <clears throat> going along and my husband worked for a, a screen printing shop in Boulder. And he was the production manager there. And one night it actually burnt to the ground. The physical building burnt to the ground. Oh there gosh. was an yeah, electrical fire. So he was suddenly, you know, without a job. And the guy decided not to go forward. He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna continue, just gonna close at this point. So we decided to jump into business. So I stopped the daycare. <laughs> And that's how Zamar <laughs> came about. <laughs> it was so very last minute. All of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> wasn't a planned out decision. <laughs> also a very pivotal moment uh, because of an event that happened. And, and that's Absolutely. what I am always kind of looking for with people in their careers, which is, you know, what's what are those events or those decisions that cause you to make a left turn or make a change? And in this case, it was it was fire. <laughs> Exactly. It was yeah, literally fire and it changed our life. Literally that moment changed our life. <laughs> so yeah, so we decided to go ahead and go into business and uh, I stopped the daycare, stopped trying to have kids. It was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to jump in. And uh, we started in uh, November of 1993. And um yeah, so we, I knew nothing about t-shirts, about embroidery, screen printing. I didn't know anything about any of it, but I'd obviously been in sales. So I knew how to do processes. I knew how to talk to people. And so I was like, okay, we'll figure this out. My husband knew all he needed to know in the back end, but we really didn't know any of that front end stuff and the business side of it. And so it was an interesting journey. <laughs> we had some very high highs really fast and had big clients and were growing like crazy. And we were young. And so I made, you know, the mistakes people make. I got the wrong kind of leases on machinery and and got into, you know, high debt against them. And so we had some rocky years, but they were very successful and went up quickly. Our sales were great, but we just had to figure out all of those business things, what we've done wrong, how to look at things, how to price things you just don't know if you've never ran a business before. Yeah. So there was some rocky years, <laughs> definitely. So you're, you're learning uh, on, you know, on the job, right? And, and going through it. But you had great success. So you're like, well, let's do more of that. 
Yeah, exactly. Certain things were really good and certain things were really poor. Like, don't repeat that. But I've always been a person that I never really considered them failures. You just learn from them. Just because you went left and that wasn't the right way, well, then just slightly start going right. It doesn't mean you went the wrong way. You just need to deviate a different direction. So I've never been a person that felt like I had big failures. You just, you adapt, you adapt, you change, you, you know, go a different direction, but it wasn't really wrong. And that has served us well, because I think you get stuck so easily when you consider it a failure, like, oh, it's a failure. I got to stop. Well, that's pretty defeating. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it is a lot about mindset in terms of if you look at it as a failure, if you look at it as learning learning and growing. And um, sometimes that same decision might have worked, uh, you know, two years later or two years earlier, but yeah. didn't work at that point in time for whatever reason, right? So yeah. it isn't necessarily a bad decision. It's just, it could be a timing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you just never know. It's just some things end up being great decisions and you thought they were a bad decision at the time. It didn't appear it was going to work out. And then later you're like, oh, that was the perfect move we needed to make. It was risky. We didn't think it didn't initially seem like it was good, but it really worked out to be the best decision. So sometimes you definitely just have to trust your gut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a pretty seasoned gut or one that you feel very, um, confident in maybe from as a young person. Um, you know, like you said, you didn't feel like college was your route, but you seemed like everywhere you went, you were able to have successes. Yeah. Yeah. I've always just, I think that was part of it. My gut said, well, it's going to try this and if it doesn't work, we'll try something different. And I just never felt like, I never felt like college was the thing that I was lacking to get where I wanted to go. If I ever would have felt that way, I'm sure I would have pursued it. I would have gladly jumped out and got it, but never in my career or things I were looking at, did I think, oh, if I just would have had an education in this, I would do different or better. I never felt that way. And, you know, not that I haven't spent my life getting education. I'm huge on business coaches and individual business seminars and following people who I admire. I'm huge in that. So it's not that I'm anti-education at all. Just never felt like that formal college education was necessarily the thing that was going to help me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you went down that path describing that because that's where I was going to go next was I, I do know that you value that because that's how we met. <laughs> yeah. So was there, um, well, you know, you said, you know, sound like your husband was working for a printing company, you know, and then it burned down. Did you guys um, then uh, employ some of the other employees that had been working at that other company? And were there some, uh, some people there that you were also learning from? It was. We we brought on two um, two other partners at the time. There was four of us that began the company, and they were the artists that were at the other company, and then my husband and myself. So what we didn't bring on is anybody in the marketing sales front end. We really had just brought all technical from the other company, but we did have some base business because of that. The salespeople that worked for that company needed a place to bring their business. A lot of them decided to start their own businesses, still continue to sell screen printing, but they needed somebody to produce it. So it kind of gave us some instant 
business that we definitely had ahead of maybe somebody just literally opening their doors and looking for people. So we already had some established clients. So that that certainly helped us through some of those first years as we were learning and trying to get our name out there. We just had some base business already. So that was a good, that was a great start that if anybody can have, that certainly a, was an easier way to get going. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in a way you're starting from scratch, but in a way you're not. <laughs> exactly you personally you and your husband and the four of you yeah yeah and then so it sounds like you filled the role of the leadership role the sales the marketing and all that you had to fix exactly that yeah it's always been me that was the, the the little engine that could and said okay this is not working let's go this way okay this is not working let's try this let's go this way it's always been me in the front end of it you know in the back end i'm not figuring things out i'm not figuring out equipment that's never been my role how are we going to produce and what are we going to do that's all been my husband but i've been the front end where is the business going to go how are we going to get us there where are we going to advertise where you know that has always been my part of the role yeah well and look at the run you've had from 90 what 92 did you say 93 to now so yeah 27 years which for a small business is a great accomplishment <laughs> well it, it is and then also when you think about all the changes in technology that have happened and yeah. you, you know all the ebbs and flows of that so how have you um how have you kind of adapted your world well you know we grew really large um from that 93 to about 2005 we had very big production facility many employees lots of levels i had lots of staff and you know that's oh between 06 08 that recession that hit us that was a super hard time for us we had to um let people go we ended up downsizing that was that was a that was a scary time those were you know i held on as long as i could i used resources maybe that i shouldn't have you know in hindsight i should have probably more quickly gotten um you know laid people off and and but that's a hard thing to do you just think this isn't gonna last this is gonna be a temporary slow this is gonna you know the the optimist in me was sure that this wouldn't last so i probably held on too long you know looking back if we would have stopped a little quicker and recorrected we wouldn't have had to go down so far so we really downscaled got rid of equipment really changed our niche changed who we were looking for and um, ended up moving the business after a certain amount of time. We moved it actually out to Hudson where we're at now. So those were, you know, lean years, you're a lot of figuring out. And of course you question, is this the right thing? Should we just change altogether? Should we get out of it? Are we meant to do something different? You know, I think every business owner goes through that at some point. Am I on the right path? Is this what I should be doing? But it, you know, the bottom line is it served us well for a lot of reasons in that I could still be the mom I wanted to be, which is just important to me as my career. Absolutely, that's a whole separate side that I hold just as important. So the business really allowed me to do both well. So we just kept in there and today we're better off for it. The business is healthy, it's very niched, it's exactly where we want it to be. So I can honestly say those were great decisions. Maybe there's different turns we should have took, but overall it ended up really well yeah well as um you know when you look back at that time having the knowledge of knowing that it was going 
you know, that it took longer than you were thinking it was gonna, I, it's so different, right? Hindsight to look back on stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. when you're in it, right, you're like, well, you know, what, you know, what, what were some of your conversations that I'm guessing it's, oh, if it doesn't turn by this date, we're going to make a decision or. Um, yeah, as I recall, it was conversations like that, like, okay, do we just downscale where we're at? Do we sell a certain portion? Should we, you know, all those things were on the table. Do we just get rid of most of the auxiliary staff and just scale back to just who we are and and you know then it began to be some conversations of what clients do we want to keep and you know people I think businesses don't spend enough time thinking about that you have every right to not take clients that don't serve you well but it kind of goes against your base feeling of you know all sales are good you need them to be you know profitable you got to have them but not every client serves your business well there are clients that you have to decide this is more of a suck for my business than it's worth and we had a couple like that one in particular and it was a huge part of our business but the manpower and the effort and the what this business took from our business wasn't fiscally the benefit that it needed to be and that was one of the big decisions we had to make was to tell them we're no longer going to print for you you know this isn't a good situation and you know that's that's a hard decision as a business owner you look at this huge dollar that that company brings in every year but you weigh out what is it taking from you and what is it profiting and it just wasn't it was a good decision but boy was that your heart knowing we didn't have that client anymore <laughs> <laughs> so there were some positives and negatives that happened, but in the end, it was probably the right decision. Absolutely. We look back now and the time and the effort and the emotional draw that that company had, we're so thankful not to be working with them anymore. It was such a good decision, but definitely one of the harder ones we made. Yeah. So during this time, did you have uh, a mentor or a coach? that was taking you through this I'm, it sounds like you would probably be talking with your husband obviously and maybe the other partners of the business yeah. but who else maybe was uh you, you know were you tapping into for counsel yeah i always i've always been involved in uh leads groups i've been involved in many different mastermind groups over the years um i had a business coach early on who really helped me i think figure out the base of how to hire people and fire people and gave me suggestions and we worked on manuals. And I think all of my life, they've changed. I've never had this one steady mentor that's been with me through the whole time, but it's just been many different people, many businesses that were either complementary to mine or, you know, totally different industries. But I could call and say, you know, how are you dealing with that? Or what, what do you see? Or what would you do in this situation? And, and, you know, peer groups and masterminds, I think business owners can get so isolated if they don't reach out for help and that can come in so many different forms and i think those were invaluable for me making all those decisions through all the years clear up to today yeah so definitely sounds like you had access to a lot of different uh other entrepreneurs and resources that you could rely yeah. on for well have you been through this how did it work for you kind of a thing or what did absolutely you do? yeah 
Everybody needs those people in their lives for sure. Yeah. So uh, talk a little bit about um, your, your family life then, and, you know, then what this afforded you as, uh, you know, one of the reasons you said you wanted to be in business for yourself is that you could also then have the personal life that you wanted. So how did that kind of play out for you? Yeah, I always said I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. I grew up with a stay-at-home mom, and I always said that's what I wanted to do. And it was important to me to be with my kids, but I did realize there was a huge part of me that wanted to be an entrepreneur also. So I've always been able to kind of balance it. I've worked what I called part-time in the business, like physically at the location. And then I would spend the other half of the day working and being with my kids at home. So I've always been at least with them half the time, you know, at the business half the time. And um, so I and we ended up homeschooling our kids, which wasn't our initial, um, it wasn't a decision we made up front, like, oh, that's what we're going to do from the beginning. It just kind of morphed into it. And so I was able to homeschool my kids. My oldest son is 20, and I homeschooled him from kindergarten clear through. Um, but he graduated high school at 16. And my youngest son is uh, 14 and is still, um, he's in eighth grade. Um, and going through. And so the business just gave me that flexibility that I could be there for them as the primary. That was the most important to me. And I could work around my appointments and schedules and things at Zamar to really feel like I could do both, you know. And I had my moments when you wonder, are you being a good enough mom? Are you being a good enough business owner? Are you giving enough to your husband? And I think everybody has those moments. And then you reevaluate and lay it all back out. But in general, I feel like the business has been a success because I have been able to do both. Yeah. Well, and then there was another element in there in terms of, are you taking care of you? <laughs> well, you know, I spent a lot of years not taking care of me. That is, <laughs> that is a fact. I would say the first 15 in business, I did not take care of me. And, you know, I had a natural doctor say to me, you cannot start a candle on one end and start burning the other end and expect to be able to make it. So <laughs> you have to start taking care of you. And so I have done much better in these next 10 years of stopping and taking care of me because I am a caretaker by nature. So I can take care of everybody in the world besides me. That's an easy besides thing for yourself. me to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in this, uh, you know, unprecedented times that we're going through now and all the kids are being homeschooled, this is yeah. no change for you and your son. <clears throat> it's not a son. big change for us. It's true. That's not a huge change for us. Although I still feel like the world is crisis schooling. They're not really homeschooling. And there's a big difference, you know, this is crisis schooling for us. We're missing our groups that we get together. We're missing being able to do sports. We're missing church. We're missing. And so that's, that's a crisis. So I hope people can recognize that you're not doing a traditional homeschooling right now. You know, we're not stuck at home 24 seven, not seeing people, not, you know, which is the perception, unfortunately. And so even we're crisis schooling, you're not being able to do the normal things that we do and be in the activities that we are. So this is a tough time for homeschoolers and businesses. This is definitely something I've never seen. Yeah, not that no one has seen, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but, yeah. But that is, thank you for sharing that because that's, you know, I, I just had made that assumption, well, that it wouldn't be that different for you, but I didn't realize... Yeah. Um, 
from a homeschooling perspective, all the other activities that you can still participate in. That's absolutely. Yeah. It's huge. You mentioned too, that you hadn't really set out to do the homeschooling. How did that come about? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. My oldest son, um, spoke very, very, very young, like 18 months, full sentences. He was, you know, he seemed brilliant. It was just like, oh my word, this kid can speak. And as we got closer and closer to school and trying to write his name and do the standard things you do, there was definitely a, there was a break there. Something was not quite working. And we just felt like, okay, we need to do this first year. Let's give him a try. You know, we're going to work on this ourselves. Well, it became pretty apparent pretty quick that he was dyslexic. And um, that was a literally years of struggle to figure out how to um, learn to read the way he needed to and learn. He didn't learn by phonics. We had a whole special program he learned to read by. And he's brilliant. So my son is brilliant, but he definitely had to do things in a very different way. And I realized pretty quick on nobody is going to put the kind of time into him that I can. Nobody's going to care and notice and see every step and celebrate with him and cry with him. And nobody's going to do that with him better than me. I know him. And so, well, you know, and that was a huge decision for us. Obviously that was a ton of time, money, effort, you know, but it made a difference in who my son is today. He's an amazing child. And, you know, I don't think he would have been that way had I stuck him in a traditional situation. I think it would have been tough for him. Yeah. Well, and, and tough and um, if you're not getting things, then you start feeling not good about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Or, can, or can feel that way, right? And then that absolutely. leads to a lot of different um, parts of how you grow up and how you view yourself. Absolutely. And I think it brings out anger. And I think in him in particular, I think it would have made him angry. I think he would have been lashing out because of you know the people teasing him or not getting it or being in special classes i don't think he would have handled that well just knowing him <laughs> whereas yeah. he never had to feel special here or different he really he started to look at it and we always considered it a gift i think people with dyslexia use both sides of their brain and they're very very creative and you know that's a whole nother topic i could go on for forever i research dyslexia so much and i look at it from a very different standpoint it's not a impairment it makes him who he is he's you know brilliant because of it and yeah. so that was just, it reframed who he could turn into versus the school deciding he was special and not being able to handle it. So that yeah. was the one of the main reason we continued. Wow. Well, congratulations. Definitely. Like you've uh, got a, a brilliant young man on your hands now. Yeah. <laughs> Might have <laughs> gone you. a different direction. I agree. Thank you. I, I think he is too. And I think it worked out very well. <laughs> It's interesting. I have a good friend who um, is in her 80s and she didn't realize she was dyslexic until her son was having difficulty <clears throat> in school. So she's yeah. probably in her 30s at this point in this, you know, but think about her, this era of, right, you know, so this would have been in the 60s probably. Oh, yeah. That, so they're just finding out her son has dyslexia and then she has the aha moment that she has it. And I remember her saying, I finally realized that I had dyslexia. I wasn't stupid. Yes. And that was what was what she was, you know, telling herself because she would be in the classroom and nothing made sense. And 
she yeah. remembered that she memorized um, the alphabet because it was on, um, they had the alphabet around the top of the room, just the letters. And then yep. one day the teacher moved them all around, rearranged them. And she's like, it rocked my world because I had memorized them. And, you know, so she found all these ways to adapt and learn to in her environment. And then they changed the environment on her. But I yes. was, it was so sad to hear her say, yeah, I finally realized I was dyslexic. I wasn't stupid. And here all this time, I had yeah. to believe that I was stupid. And, yeah. and oh, by that... the way, she's an amazing person and has started all these groups and organizations and people. And so yeah. when you look at what she's done, you would have never thought that she ever yes. thought that she was stupid. <laughs> yeah. And it does tend to run in families. We figured that a similar situation of that exactly. Uh, one of our family members, as we were figuring out, my son had this said, oh my goodness, that's what I have. That's what I've done my whole life. That's, you know, they never knew what to do with me. And so that's common that it runs in families and people that are older didn't even realize that that's what they had. Yeah, that's very common. <laughs> and they just figured out how to blend in or adapt or do whatever yep. they could. Yeah. So what yeah. about um, your second son then? Does he, does it, is it, you know, more than one sibling can have it or? I think you can. I think you can have tons of uh, people that do have it and it does run in families, but my youngest does not have any signs of it. Things have always come very easily to him. He's, you know. Um, it's amazing how different kids are. You know, my oldest was just wise, wise beyond his years. He never wanted to be the age he was. He always wanted to be older. And my younger one just always wanted to be the age he was. He was happy being 10. He was happy being 11. He wasn't, <laughs> it was just very different. Things came very easily to him. He's very much, um, was more of a sports person. So they're very different in both their ways, but definitely equally as uh, wonderful. <laughs> I'm proud of them <laughs> <laughs> and so the decision to homeschool him was it um a, a different type of discussion or um because it was what we were doing and it was so successful and it's it's just what we knew he just kind of naturally came in and we do every year look at it and say is this a good decision do you want to look at going to school and up till this point this has really worked for us and he's excelled also he's likely to be in college by the time he's 16 and and you know practically have his bachelor's and his high school so you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of advantages to it for us right now so i'm sure he will continue through his last couple years wow yeah. so really you've had three jobs you've been a president of <laughs> <laughs> of uh, this, of a print, a screen printing. You're a mom, and you're a teacher. Yes, that is true. <laughs> I have a very full life. <laughs> so, talk a little bit then. So, how did you prepare yourself to be a homeschool teacher? You know, I think I approached it the same as I did business. You know, I can do this, I can figure this out, and I'll get the resources as I go. And I've had lots of mentors within it also, homeschool moms that have done it a lot longer than I, and we've always been involved in good groups that I could get suggestions from and lean on, and how do you do this? And there's such great curriculum out there now, and my kids have always been involved in a weekly school and so as they got older, they have an algebra teacher there who, you know, lectures all five lessons, they come home and do them. And so the older they get, the less I'm the teacher, the more I'm just the guide. You know, they're basically learning from um, licensed teachers, they get all their lectures, and then, you know, they come home and do it. And so 
as they get older, I think it's not a lot different than probably most moms are doing. You're making sure they do their homework and can see what they're doing, but I'm less the teacher, more of the guide as they got older. But it was fun to know that I was the one that taught them to read and taught them they had their aha moments with their multiplication. And, you know, that that's a very, instead of just being the frustrated mom at night with homework, I got the great kids first thing in the morning who were ready to go and done by noon. You know, and that's really the difference. People yeah. say, oh, I couldn't homeschool my kids. We fight with homework. Anybody at five or six at night, everybody's exhausted. They've been through a long day. Kids have been in school all day. Of course, everybody's frustrated with homework at night. Everybody's tired. They're done. Their minds and their bodies are tired. I got my kids fresh out of bed. So in the first three or four hours, you can get an amazing amount done. <laughs> and, you know, it's not that frustration. So it's all perspective. I think people try to compare it to homework at home and it just isn't that. It's not the same thing at all. Yeah. Well, that's because they don't know. This is great insight in terms of, like you're saying, getting them in the morning and yeah. getting them when they're learning and discovering that is different than, hey, I already learned yeah. and discovered this this morning. Now I got to do the work. That's very different, right? Very wow. different. Very different. And everybody's tired. The parents are tired and they're trying to make dinner and the kids are tired. And, you know, that's not a good productive time <laughs> for anybody, you know? No, no, it's not. Yeah. So should we flip flop it and then do homework in the morning and then school? Yeah. In the <laughs> no. And the teachers are like, no, you just made my job way too hard. Exactly. Yeah, they would be screaming, no, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> So when we talked before, you had mentioned that um, some of the programs that we've taken together has been like the pinnacle offerings and the pinnacle gift. Talk yeah. about some of the uh, the pinnacle gifts or what you've gotten out of some of the programs we've been through together. Yeah, the, the pinnacle gift was an interesting class for me. It's a very intense, um, you know, eight hours and you really figure out what is your gift. And I did that class, it's probably been two or three years ago. And the base of my gift that I figured out is that I love to mentor. I love people to come across my path who need help or struggling or, and I really looked at my business at that time and thought, but I'm selling t-shirts and embroidery and how, how is that exactly it? And, and first in my mind, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to maybe end up changing careers. Now that I know what my gift is, I can't, you know, I'm not sure I can do that in this. And I spent a year really looking at it and looking at it. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know what changed, but I realized that's what I do every day small businesses come in and they say, oh, I didn't do very well at this trade show and this didn't happen. And, you know, my strength is I, you know, grab them up and what could you have done differently? Did you collect names? Did you do this? Did you this? Did you, how, what was your follow-up like? What was your, and I just want to mentor them and guide them. And it may be with my product. It may not. I, that really makes no difference to me. And so I really figured out my gift was working with people and people are brought to me that I never thought would cross my path. And people start talking to me and so many people say, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. I've never told anybody this, but I'm telling you. People tell me that all the time. Like, I have no idea why I'm telling you this. And so I think I have made my gift work in my company. 
And I honestly think I could be selling anything. I could sell any widget on earth. That isn't, that's not the bottom line. As long as I believe in what I'm selling, it's the relationships and it's the, that's how this business has grown. And I just realized that's how it's grown from the beginning. It's always been referrals. It's always been, oh, you've got to meet Suzanne. You've got to go talk to her. And that's how people have come to me. And so the the gift program just really solidified exactly, oh, that's why, that's why people tell me everything. That's why it made all that so clear. So it's definitely helped in the last few years just make me much more aware of it. And the business has grown really well. We practically doubled last year and so much had, had to do with that and the productivity class and learning how to do things on purpose and really having my whole life be on purpose within the business hours. And it's been very successful. And so that training with, you know, Mary Gall and different, you know, seminars I've gone to, those are just so valuable. Everybody needs to, you know, be educated in whatever it is they do and whatever speaks to them. Yeah. So it sounds like once, you you were successful in your business, but once you found out what your gift was, then really stepping into that gift, then you even got more successful. Absolutely. It then you really knew this is my secret sauce. I need to keep doing more of this. And then the more you turned on that spigot, then the more people are like, Yes, this, you know, yeah, you're really helping me and you're helping me in ways that aren't exactly maybe what I buy from you, but I'm gonna keep coming to you and therefore keep buying from you. Yeah. And in introducing others to you. Wow. Yeah. And that's the big thing, introducing others to me. When even if I never ended up doing anything for whoever it is I'm talking to, they become raving fans. They just are like, oh, you have to know Suzanne. Oh, you have to call her for your shirts. Oh, you have to, you know, and so it's that. And you know, that isn't why I help people, but it's what happens because of it. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It isn't, it isn't the product, but it's yeah. who you are and how, and who you're being yeah. um, when you're with with all these folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so glad that we got to get talked about that part of it because that's so much a part of you. And when you were, you know, probably developing your business and being in all those leads groups and everything over the years, you were probably receiving a lot of. Um, great advice and networking, but you were also probably giving it at the time. Uh, but now that you are more powerful with your gift, I'm guessing you give even more in these kind of different uh, groups that you're in and networks. Definitely more intentional about it. I think if, I think I finally owned it. You know, I think I probably knew on the underside that was always what I was good at and did, but I never acknowledged it and gave it any power. And so now I can say, okay, this is what I can contribute. And so it, it's definitely changed how I show up, how I show up in the world and how I, what I'm willing to say. And, you know, that took, that took courage because for a lot of years, like, I'm not going to talk about me. I was much more on the, you know, you just either get me or you don't. So I'm not going to tell you. And I've learned to be much more forward with it. <clears throat> yeah. You might've minimized what, what value you brought and now you're really maximizing what you can bring and how you can help others. Absolutely. And it's been great in this time, you know, with what we're going through now, 
you know, I'm on all kinds of virtual networking groups and out there and, you know, I'm able to say, if you need to need somebody to talk to you, like, what do you do about marketing or how should I do this? You know, that, that is just free information. And I'm just, I really want people to succeed and it'll come back someday. And I'm just not worried about it. I'm worried about you buying something from me right now, but it will come back. And so I've spent countless hours, you know, zooming with people, encouraging them to hold on and try this and, you know, reach out and talk to your people and you do have stuff to offer and no, you're probably not going to sell a knot right now. Nobody is. And that's okay. You have to be okay with that. And so, yeah, yeah, it's definitely been great during this time to be able to share all that information. Because you're you're connecting with people. It's just not revenue generating at this time, (laughs) but you're, you're connecting, you're helping, you're supporting um, yeah. Oh, and, and probably while you're getting connected and help it and support yourself. I mean, it's kind of a two way thing sometimes, right? Absolutely. I'm making connections and meeting people that I maybe wouldn't have before. And, and if I do my job over the next few years and keep in contact with them, of course, it'll become money at some point. That's just how the world goes. But it's my job to keep in contact with them and continue to give and be there and be a resource. And then it'll come back. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been quite um, a fascinating conversation. So thank you for sharing kind of who who you are, what you've done and how you got to where you are. Uh, I could, I have probably about six other follow-up questions, but we are getting to a point where we need to start wrapping up. So (laughs) if, um, if you were to look back on your career or, and I guess in your life in general, because, you know, so much, we can't just compartmentalize our career, right? It does have to serve our lives. Um, We don't necessarily you know, work to, we don't live to work, we work to live, or maybe that some people do both, but yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say, uh, you know, was the smartest thing or what was the thing that maybe served you the best that might help others as they're looking at their, their way forward? I would say that the big thing is just asking for help when you need it. It's not a, it's not a negative thing to get to a point and say to yourself, I have no idea what to do. I do not know how to go forward. I do not know how to do this. I feel like I'm failing. And that's when people give up. They say, you know what, I'm just going to close this. I'm going to say I found something new. I'm going to go a different direction. If you would just stop and go ask people, go talk to people, go get some resources, you may not use any one person's big advice that just fixes everything, but all of that information together gives you some tools to figure out what that next step is. And so don't be afraid to reach out to people. People want to help. Their natural insulation is to help, but people don't offer that. If they don't know they have the gift to help, they don't offer it unless you ask. And so just be willing to ask those people that you admire. If you admire them for any reason, ask them, ask them for help. Great advice. Well, I I hate to use the word advice here because I think it's hard for people to accept advice. So I would just say great lessons learned, (laughs) great words of wisdom. (laughs) And you're spot on. People want to help. I know I want to help. If anyone asks me, I am right there. Yep. Uh, but it is hard sometimes to ask for help because you feel like, well, I should know this or, yep. um, you know, I, I should have been doing it or, or sometimes what they offer is what you've already tried. But it, anyway, but you do have yeah. to get out of your head and you do have to ask people. So yep. ask for help. Ask for help. Yep. 
Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for sharing your story today and um, sharing all of, all of the pieces about you. Um, is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you might want to share? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered uh, most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, outstanding. Um, well, um, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, then uh, please subscribe to the channel and you will then be prompted for more interviews as they come forward. Uh, you can find these interviews on lifestorycurator.com. That's my website. If you have any questions for me or for Suzanne, uh, please post them on that website, lifestorycurator.com, and I'll make sure to get to Suzanne and we'll get you your questions answered. So on that note, I think we'll wrap up. And Suzanne, again, thank you. And, uh, and you have a great day and great rest of your week. Thank you. You also. Thank you so much for having me.